Do you like free stuff? I do. BlueprintMCAT.com. Go sign up for a free account. Get access to Blueprint MCAT's Diagnostic, Blueprint MCAT's Full Length One, Blueprint MCAT's amazing brand new space repetition platform with over 1,600 flashcards already made for you, as well as their amazing study planner tool. Schedule out the content so you know if you are on track to take the MCAT when you need to. Again, that's blueprintmcat.com for all of those free goodies. The MCAT Podcast, session number 269. A collaboration between the medical school headquarters and Blueprint MCAT. The MCAT Podcast is free MCAT prep to help you understand the MCAT, teach you how to break down questions, and give you the skills and confidence to get the score you want on your MCAT test day. Learn more about Blueprint MCAT at blueprintprep.com slash MCAT. And welcome to the MCAT Podcast. My name is Dr. Ryan Gray, your host here every week, where I get to hang out with a marvelous member of the Blueprint Live Online team. We are continuing our breakdown of the Blueprint Diagnostic cars section now going into passage one. If cars scares you, don't worry, it scares me too. And I think these next two episodes, passage one and passage two, I think will hopefully help you understand that cars isn't as scary as you need to make it out to be. If you haven't signed up for a free Blueprint MCAT account yet, do it right now over at blueprintmcat.com and get access to this half-length diagnostic for free as well as Blueprint MCAT Full Length 1 for free, access to their amazing study planner tool and their brand new spaced repetition platform. They're adding more great free stuff all the time. So go sign up right now at blueprintmcat.com. Nicole, welcome back to the MCAT podcast. How are you? Hello, hello. I'm doing well. Excited to dive into some cars passages today. (sighs) Cars, the four-letter word that strikes fear in <laughs> pre-meds hearts why <laughs> the shirt i'm wearing there's there's a there's a one on here uh the where is it mm, i don't know where it is it's hard to oh there it is number six one who is scared of a four-letter test um uh and then within that four-letter test there is a four-letter section the car section that I think just strikes fear, uh, especially among among pre-med students taking the MCAT, this car section, because uh, again, it's it's one of those things, we were talking earlier, uh, a couple episodes ago, about like students who stick with content review too much because going to the test and taking questions and getting feedback can hurt our ego to go, oh, I don't know as much as I thought I did. Um, but I sat I sat there and flipped pages for hours and hours and hours. How did I not absorb it all? The car section seems to be one that is anxiety-provoking for a completely different reason because there's really nothing to know for it. And that mm-hmm. alone is anxiety-provoking for students. Why, why do we... Why do we fear something because we can't really learn it in a book or a class or something? Yeah, I think it's because you don't have that content review crutch, right? Like, it's really easy if you're struggling with chem fizz, you'd be like, ah, well, great. I'm going to study this. I know that I've been getting a couple questions wrong on electrochemistry. So I'm going to go study electrochemistry Mm -hmm. content. And 
it makes it's a, a lot easier to feel like you know how to make tangible improvements, right? Because since cars is, you know, analysis on reading passages and critical thinking, you there's not as clear of a blueprint to how to improve your car score. It's really dependent on strategies, on reflections, on building those reading skills and learning about different question types in cars and being able to predict what the test makers are going to ask you. And there is absolutely no substitute for that other than doing questions, which as we've talked about, you know, is really hard and sudden doesn't feel as nice sometimes as doing content review on a topic that you're confident about. So I think it's that ability that the only way to get better is to just do it, which can be really intimidating. Yes. Uh, just, just do it as, as a good, a good friend Nike says. Um, <laughs> so what is your number one tip outside of just doing it? Uh, what is your number one tip for someone to increase their score, their car score? Yeah, I think one is if you aren't already, make sure that you are keeping track of every single question you get wrong when you are doing practice questions, when you are doing practice tests, and you're writing out what is the question you got wrong, why you got it wrong and how you think you could get it right the next time. So that's gonna be that really critical reflection. So if you aren't reflecting, um, make sure that you start doing that yesterday. Um, and then I think the other thing, when you're actually kind of in the moment uh, and reading through your passage, my favorite thing to say to students is read for two things, read for a main idea and read for tone because your main idea and your tone are gonna inform every single answer. Even if a question is not about tone, if it's asking something even almost remotely related to the author, if the tone of an answer choice is not in line with your author's tone, it's not going to be your right answer, even if it's not explicitly a tone question. So as you're answering every single question, having those, having a really solid understanding of those two things in the back of your mind is going to put you so much further ahead. Um, and that also helps you. That's why you'll hear people talk about like things like extreme answers are yeah. often wrong because most of the time our passages don't have extreme tones, right? Sometimes you have a passage author who's just totally like, this is the most horrible philosophic you know, camp of thought that I've ever heard of in my entire life. And then sometimes, you know, maybe your extreme answer is to be correct. But if you are reading an answer, you're keeping in mind your author's tone, you're saying like, oh, my author like doesn't has a more moderate tone yeah. on this concept. So I think that's really my first strategy and my key thing when I'm looking at a car's passage. Yeah. And and what's your take on, I, I've heard suggestions for like, when you go into the car section for each passage, it may be a passage that you know a lot about, but that may potentially hurt you. That's bad. Yeah, you don't want to know. <laughs> Ideally, <laughs> hope you if you don't you do not want if you come to a cars passage and you're like, I know all about this. I took a, an econ class that talked about the economies of the Mexican government. As we'll see. <laughs> you need to throw all of that information out the window. I right? because so, like what we're caring about is we're caring about author's main idea, author's tone possibly the possibly the ideas of other individuals and their viewpoints, you know, expert testimony, things like that brought into a passage. But you definitely need to throw out your own conventions, because especially when you're in that moment and you're sitting and you're looking at a question and you're not sure, you're going to be drawn to answers that one, like look like the passage, right? So maybe it's like you have an answer choice that's in line with the main idea of the passage, but it came from the wrong, but you're supposed to be looking at a specific area, for example, of the passage. Or for example, um, there's a passage that we do in MCAT live class in uh, 
Blueprint live online classes, and it talks about utilitarianism. And the definition of utilitarianism that they give in the passage is not exactly the definition of utilitarianism, utilitarianism that most people would probably give if you just ask them on the street if they were familiar with that. So you have to be really, really careful to pretend that you are like an MCAT baby and you come in knowing nothing in the cars passage, in the car section. Forget everything that you've ever learned, <laughs> except for your analysis and strategy skills. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Interesting. All right. So forget it all. All right. Let's go ahead and dive in and, and uh, we'll uh, we'll see how much we can struggle here or I can struggle because uh, that's the name of the game. All right. So the car section, we get to it. Uh, it sounds like you're a big fan of deep breathing when we get to new sections and new, new areas. So yeah. <laughs> let's go ahead and rock and roll. All right, so we're going to get started. I'm just going to read us through paragraph by paragraph here, and then we're going to talk about some highlights and what we're taking away from each of these paragraphs. All right, and uh, you all get to hear me butcher some names. Um, I, a lot of times will give people nicknames in passages um, because I'm not great at pronouncing their names. All right, so passage one. About his friend Ludwig Wittgenstein, the Finnish philosopher George Henrik von Wright said that Wittgenstein's ideas were distorted even by those who professed to be his disciples. This misunderstanding of his work and distortion of his ideas may, in some sense, at least partially be Wittgenstein's fault. In the course of his philosophical career, he published only a single small book, the Tractus Logico-Philosophicus. It was not until after Wittgenstein died in 1951 that his various manuscripts were edited together into the lengthy philosophical investigations. All right. So let's talk about some highlights. Dr. <laughs> Dr. Can you pull out some, what are your what do you Ooh. think is most important here to pull out? Um the commas. <laughs> this is uh, uh the names, I guess. Um so just just some names and then the distorted by those who profess to be his disciples, I guess, is like that's a big thing, I think, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. I think definitely names are something I always highlight passage. Like I said, I, I don't know about you all, but sometimes I read things and then they go right out of my head. And names are especially like that. I forget who people are in passages all the time. So my personal highlighting philosophy and strategy is really to highlight, to create yourself a map to go back and find things. So you're not just highlighting it because it was interesting. You're highlighting it because you think you might get a passage on, or you might get a question on it. So we're going to be highlighting for, like I said, for our main idea and for key details, essentially. Um, but yeah, so I definitely say, yeah, Wittgenstein, Henry von Wright. Um, I think definitely you're highlighting that weren't distorted, right? That's a pretty, it's a pretty strong word saying that his ideas were distorted, even by those who professed to be his disciples. Um, can also highlight looking in here, we have the two names of books, right? So those might be brought back. So I would highlight we have the published only a single small book, the Tractus Logico Philosophicus. Um, and then as well as philosophical investigations, right? Because if I, any of these are mentioned, this is going to help me go back and find them. And then if I was going to highlight anything else, I might also note this idea of um, that it's his, that it's, it's this guy, I'm just going to call him Wit, it's Wit's fault <laughs> here, that this misunderstanding, like it might be his fault that he was misunderstood. All right. Victim blaming. That's a good Cars passage. All right. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> Indeed. All right. So we are going to keep going on. Um, I'm going to use I'm going to use my nickname for wit um, from now on. So that way I don't have to read the whole world. Okay. Um, all right. So wit's somewhat unusual career as an academic was paralleled by an even more troubled and unusual personal life. After being born to a very wealthy family, Witt gave away nearly his entire personal fortune, first in large sums to several unknown poets and painters, with the remainder being given to his siblings. Of nine siblings, Witt's early life was defined by the harsh authoritarianism of his father and the successive suicides of three of his older brothers. Mm. All right, so now we're getting some background. So, you know, we have, okay, so we have this guy, he wrote, um, you know, this this book on philosophy, you know, is um, edited together after his death. Um, so now we're getting some background on what his life would like. What do you think is important here, Dr. Gray? Um, well, it's interesting. What's important, I, I think, potentially is the the author is saying it's an unusual career that he had as an academic. So there's something that is like, oh, that's maybe important there. Yeah, I would agree. I think, yeah, this idea of unusual is coming, right? So I would highlight unusual career, or I would probably also highlight um, troubled and unusual personal life. But that's yep. basically what this, this is about. So we're saying like, okay, his career was odd, but so was his personal life. Um, and I think the other thing that I might highlight here is this harsh authoritarian authoritarianism yep. of his father. So I think that's pretty, you know, as the past says, harsh, right? I think those things that are, if it's a strong tone, I think always taking an extra look at that to see if it might be something important. And so now if I, you know, if, if we have a question asking anything about, you know, childhood background, we know to go back to that place where we highlighted unusual personal life. Yeah. So. There's our map for this one. All right, let's keep going. So as a young adult, Witt's academic career began with him studying mechanical engineering in Berlin. This interest grew into a study of um, aeronautics, which with Witt even being granted a patent for a particular propeller design. As he continued his engineering studies, he eventually came upon works of the philosophy of mathematics written by Bertrand Russell and Gottlob Frege. Um, these works created a near obsession with logic and mathematics in Wittgenstein um, that automatically or that eventually led Witt to Cambridge, where he studied under Bertrand Russell. All right. So we're still getting more background on the life. Right. So we're saying, OK, this is what his childhood was like. This is what his family is like. And now we're getting an academic background. Um, so what would you what, what do you think is important here? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um. Oh, I don't know. So maybe the aeronautics and mechanical engineering stuff? Yeah. So I think that's a good, you know, like noting what, like what he was studying, right? Because we have, you know, we have this whole talk of, you know, propeller design. So yeah, I think highlighting mechanical engineering, aeronautics, right? Again, you know, so it's not about highlighting every single detail here. It's about finding, if, if there's a question about aeronautics, we know where to go back to find that related information. Um, and then once again, we have some names popping up here as well. I said, I always highlight names, always, always, um, unless it's a repeat of a name, of course, that we already had. So yeah, I think this Bertrand Russell. And then I think also noting that we have kind of a transition here, right? So started in mechanical engineering, started in aeronautics, and then we he read the works by these two philosophers slash mathematicians and created this, I think, Dr. Gray, you were going for here, this near obsession, right? That's pretty strong language here. Yep. I think near obsession um, is also something to note. Uh, yeah, I think that I think that's pretty much rounds out our highlights for this passage, I said. And so it's not about every detail. It's about being able to look back. Yeah. All right, next paragraph. 
So, WIT studies had their first major interruption due to the outbreak of World War I. After volunteering in the Austro-Hungarian army, WIT was wounded in an explosion and near the end of the war, captured by Allied forces and held in a POW camp for nine months. Near the end of the decade, Witt was rocked by several major setbacks. His dear friend and likely his lover, David Pinsett, was killed in a plane crash. His favorite uncle passed away, and the German publishing house to which he had submitted the Tractus Logico Philosophicus declined to publish the work. All right, so more background, kind of progressing through his life. Let me make a little bit of a chronological presentation now, right? So we have childhood, then, um, you know, went to school, and then the schooling was interrupted by this, all right? Mm-hmm. So what was it interrupted by? What would you look at? Yeah, here? World War One. just mm-hmm. throw yeah. that there. Yeah, that's definitely fodder for a question, you know, asking around what happened in this time. Um, you know, so I highlight also maybe that he was wounded, mm-hmm. So we go back and find that here. And then in general, I would also note the several major setbacks. And this is something where, uh, you know, you kind of choose what to highlight from here, right? Because if I know I'm looking for the setbacks, once again, I've, I've found them if I've highlighted that. Yeah. Um, but once again, names, I always I always double check on the names. So I would highlight David Pinsett as well. Um, and just kind of make that mental note of, you know, this, this person was his friend, possibly his lover as well. Um, all right. All right. So, so this is a super long passage. (laughs) How, how common is it to get this long of a passage on the MCAT? And can we make any sort of logical connection of like, oh, this is a really, really long passage. The questions are probably going to be easy. (laughs) <laughs> I don't think I'd go so I wish it was like that. I'd be really <laughs> consolation prize if it was that consistent. I think um what things with practice, right? So the, the biggest thing on a, on a long passage, right, is timing because it's going to take you longer to read it. And so I think that can be that can be kind of intimidating. So it's really about working on your timing because in general, all of the passages, when you average them together, are probably going to be about, you know, whatever regular length mm-hmm. for a passage is going to be. And so I think you have, as you work to develop your timing skills, you know, as you shift from possibly doing untimed practice at the beginning of your prep to really be able to take your time and work through, like I said, the nitty gritty of some of these details of the passages, that's really you get into more time practice to have that confidence in yourself that, okay, I might need to take 12 minutes on this passage and I'm going to take eight on the one after that because it's probably going to even out because I trust that the speed that I go at by the time I finish my section is going to work out. So I think it's a lot about building confidence because yeah, if a passage is a lot like two paragraphs longer than another passage, it might take you an extra minute. Um, but you're, you have, like I said, as long as you have that confidence in your timing and you're checking in, um, you know, whether it's a quarter of the way through, three fourths of the way through, always halfway through, I would definitely check in and see, okay, how many passages do I have left? Particularly in cars, you know, kind of the gold standard is about 10 minutes per passage. Yeah. So I think it's particularly easy, like to just glance at the timer and see where you are after every passage or after every other passage. Okay. So just got to keep an eye on that. All right. All right. So next paragraph. This combination of personal and professional setbacks derailed Witt's work for some time. He took work as a gardener in a monastery and later worked as a teacher for school children in a remote rural village. In an ironic twist of his own upbringing, he became infamous in the village for his near tyrannical approach to teaching, especially among those students who had no knack for math or logic. 
He used corporal punishment routinely on both male and female students and used to openly criticize the village priest and the school headmaster in front of the students. Hmm. All right. So some more, more background, more life progression here. So I think noting, right, this is this, this paragraph is about personal and professional setbacks. Um, I think that's something good to note here in terms of highlights. Um, I noticed a little bit of strong language in here. Is there anything that stuck out to you, Dr. Gray? This ironic twist. Yeah, right. This looks like this is once again pretty strong language on the part of our author, right? So you have this ironic twist that he was really tyrannical and really, uh, uh, you know, kind of aggressive with these kids that he was teaching in the village. Yeah. Uh, I think beyond that, I wouldn't highlight anything else necessarily because you know this. Okay, so this paragraph is about setbacks. Um, you know, he did some other work. And then there's this ironic twist with near-terminical approach to the students. Yep. Uh, and I think that's quite memorable. So I don't feel like I need to highlight anything else here. Okay. Um, I said, and highlighting is always, you know, it's always going to be different from person to person. Some people might highlight more. Some people might highlight less. So it's about figuring out what works for you. You know, as long as you're not coloring the page yellow, you know, you're on the right track. So I think trying to be more minimal is generally the where most people have to push themselves toward. I know I definitely do. Um, but yeah, so don't worry if your highlights aren't exactly the same as what we have here. All right. All right. Only two more paragraphs. There's so many. Um, okay. Several more years passed with Wit moving between various low-level teaching positions, during which time a pirate copy of the Tracticus was published. The work was widely distributed in philosophical cir- circles and created a growing fame for Wit Europe's intelligista, uh, or t- intelligentista. Um, he eventually returned to Cambridge to teach. Despite having been denied a bachelor's degree some decade and a half prior, the faculty at Cambridge chose to award him a PhD, viewing the Tractatus as his doctoral dissertation. She'll just realize, I think I've been pronouncing the name of that so wrong, as I promised I would. Um, But that's okay. As long as you know uh, what it looks like on the page, that is okay. Don't don't worry about (laughs) spending extra time trying to pronounce things. Yes. Even if you're reading them on a podcast. All right. So we have several more years passing here. Um, So I think I would note that there's this pirate copy, right, that's being published here. And so it's kind of like moving between low level teaching positions. And he has a little bit of a break here almost is kind of the way I'm interpreting this. Um, I think his work was widely distributed. I think noting this growing fame here, right, among people in Europe specifically um yeah and so it's widely distributed so this is a pretty drastic change right so before he's you know he's moving back to this village you know he's looking at um you know dealing with these children this tyrannical approach moving these low level super insignificant teaching positions then suddenly europe's intelligent really cool philosopher people are super excited about are, are super excited about him um, I think also noting here, returning to Cambridge, because that's a bit of a, this a movement um, they have here as a possibly marking, you know, kind of the new era in his life. Um, possibly also noting, um, Thailand, just like PhD, right? So that, um, you know, these faculty at Cambridge chose to award him that. So bit of a bit of a shift. Yeah. All right. And finally, last paragraph. Um, Somewhat surprisingly, the biggest disruption of European life of the past two centuries, World War II, actually had the smallest impact on Witt's work. As he had been awarded a professorship by Cambridge, it was a relatively simple matter for him to obtain UK citizenship and continue his teaching and writing throughout the war, while most of his family was able to emigrate to the U.S. And we're done. All right. For the straight <laughs> to highlight that one. Okay. So I think this most we have somewhat surprisingly, right? A little bit of a transition here. We think that's important that they're point that the author's pointing out here, Dr. Gray. 
Mm-hmm. Um, that there's this huge war and it didn't really impact him. Yeah. So I think this idea like had the smallest impact. This is, yeah. this is kind of a, um, you know, a departure from what from our previous thread because before he was fighting in the war definitely impacted him. So saying in contrast, right. Always looking for comparisons between different groups, different ideas, different people, because that is total, total question fodder. Um, so we're saying, Oh, so this is actually different because it's surprising because we were told something different earlier in the passage about a similar circumstance. Yeah. So drawing those connections is super important. And yeah, I think that's honestly what I would highlight here because the rest of it is just saying like, he did great during the war. He was doing fine and had the smallest impact. Yeah. Um, all right. So we finished the passage. Now, like I said, first thing I like to think about is main idea and tone. What would you say are the main idea in the tone of this passage? Um, the main idea is basically just a story about wit and, mm-hmm. uh, kind of his journey through life and, um, uh, how he became known. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's good, right? Cause so much of this is on our background. So it's like, you know, we have this person wit, um, you know, he's a really cool philosopher, you know, but came into philosophy kind of later in his life. You know, he, this, uh, he was really influential, but some of it after his death. And he had kind of this interesting life arc, um, as, I guess, if you were wanting to sum it up. Yeah. And what do you think authors are, author's tone? Like, if you had to rate it, um, something I love to do with my classes, it, which is inspired by another one of our instructors in Dorothy. Dorothy so shout out to Dorothy. Um, she's really amazing. I'm not sure. Has she been on the podcast before? I think so. Yeah. Probably, probably. She's really great. Um, and so on a, on a scale of negative three to three. So if negative three is like super negative, absolutely hates wit. And three is positive. Like, wow, this is the best person and philosopher um, the author has ever heard of. Where on that spectrum would you say the author is from negative three to three? Zero. Zero? Yeah, I'd, yeah. Probably, I'd probably say around a zero, right? Because the author doesn't seem to be making too many like personal judgments on this might say like, Oh, like it's very like interesting, but not necessarily like, Oh, I really like this person in his work. Or I really just, you know, we don't have any value statements, value judgments. on like, this work was good and valuable or this work was not good and valuable. So I'd yeah. say, yeah, pretty, pretty neutral ish with like being like, you know, being interested, you know, kind of presenting a semi like objective report of yeah. this person's life. Um, so I think those kind of, you know, the purpose, that purpose behind the passage, you know, what kind of passage is it um, from the author's point of view is very important. Yeah. All right. So with that framing, do you want to dive us yeah. into this first question here? I'll read this first question. In the first paragraph, the passage implies which of the following about w- Wittgenstein's work? A, despite claiming to be his disciples, many of Witt's followers intentionally misrepresented his ideas. So I'm going to scratch that one off because nobody said anything about intentionally misrepresenting anything. Exactly. Uh, Answer choice B, Witt would not have approved of the final edited form of the philosophical investigations and would have insisted on significant rewrites. We have no idea... Um, what his thoughts would have been. Uh, they were put together based on his manuscripts and whatever. So we have no I idea. Agree. Yeah. yeah, we don't have anything about, you know, that he didn't like other people representing his work instead of him. There was nothing to imply that in the passage. Yep. And choice C, had Witt published more works during his life, his ideas may have been better understood by others. Okay, so this one's interesting because... It talks about the misunderstanding of his work and distortion of his ideas. 
uh, maybe part his fault. And so, and he'd only published one book. So maybe that's a connection we're trying to make here. So uh, I'm going to not scratch that one out and see what Answer Choice D says. Witt's small publishing output was a result of his being distracted by his engineering interests, in particular aeronautical engineering. So to me, this is a distraction answer. And probably if I were to guess, and and you can tell us after, uh, a lot of students probably pick this one because, ooh, aeronautical. And if we go down to paragraph three, aeronautics, and but I'm like, well, it says paragraph one and aeronautics is paragraph three. But also it just says that he has an interest in aeronautics and not that it distracted him from doing anything else. So I'm going with answer choice C because I think it's the best answer. Awesome. Yeah. And you would be correct. I think your reasoning there is was totally right. Like I said, so we talked, um, you know, about that, you know, his ideas were misrepresented or misunderstood within his life. And so he only published one book. Um, and that's partially his fault that he was misrepresented because he'd only published more. Therefore, if he had published more, maybe people would have understood better. Yep. So that's like when we're talking about the the passage implies, right? This kind of question where we have to do our own thinking here and go one step beyond the passage. That's where having already having that fundamental understanding of what the main idea is, what the passage is saying, right? Because you can't go one step beyond the passage if you're not if you if you skip the previous step of actually understanding what's in the passage. Yeah. Um, so we definitely think we set ourselves up good for this. So yes, I would definitely agree that C is our correct answer. That if he had published more works during his life his ideas might have been better understood all right question two all right so the author suggests which of the following about wit's early academic pursuits a his skill in engineering was notably less significant than his skill in philosophical work b if he had ever if he had never read the work of russell and frege he likely would have continued working in aeronautics for longer than he did C, his father's strict authoritarian approach to child rearing created the sense of self-discipline that Witt needed to develop his philosophy. Or D, Witt's personal fortitude in enduring a POW camp altered his philosophy in a way that gave it a more mystical religious quality. (laughs) (laughs) What would be be the first answer that you would eliminate here? Uh, The last one. Yeah, the last one, right? Because you have this this mystical, you kind of chuckled, like, mystical quality, right? <laughs> we didn't have anything about religion, yeah. mysticism. None of this was talked about in the passage, so we're going to cross that out. Yeah. All right. So I, think, mm-hmm. so I would I would continue crossing lots of these out. So answer choice <laughs> C, right? Again, we, we had this harsh authoritarianism, uh, but it doesn't say anything about how that led to Witt's discipline and sense of whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, so again, these like distraction, like part of the answer has some truth in it, but that's not it. So mm-hmm. I'm going to cross that one out. All right. Answer choice mm-hmm. A is interesting because one could potentially assume, well, he he went into his philosophical work from aeronautics and therefore... Uh, he wasn't good at aeronautics, but nowhere did it say any of that. Um, yeah. And, and so in fact, what, what achievement did he have in aeronautics? He has a patent. 
needs a patent, right? Like that's pretty good. Like, yeah. I don't know about you all, but like, I don't have a patent. <laughs> um, so yeah. I'd say, yeah, right. Like, so we don't, we don't have enough information to make that value judgment. Our author didn't suggest that. Right. Yep. So like, we might be able to argue that ourselves and come with like, okay, like maybe like an influential book read all over Europe and that gets you like a PhD in Cambridge is better than a propeller. But that's your judgment. Yep. That's not the author's judgment. So if you're, especially for this, like the author suggests, if you were jumping through those hoops to make that judgment, you're thinking from your perspective, not from the author's. Mm. So I would definitely go with B. Yeah. Um, right. So if he hadn't read the work of these, like I said, two philosophers, yes. he might have continued working in aeronautics. Because right? we had this kind of turning point, right? That said, like, oh, like he was engineering, and they just like picked up this book. It was like, oh, wow, this is so amazing. I'm so obsessed with this book. Yep. I am totally gonna move to Cambridge and become a philosopher. Um, so he really had that turning point there. So maybe if that turning point had happened later, that it's you know there wasn't anything else, any other factors mentioned that could have been drawing him, yeah, um, in that philosophical direction. All yeah. right, awesome. Love it. All right. Two for two. Hopefully. <laughs> let's, let's keep going. Uh, which of the following, question three, which of the following people would the author find to have had a career most analogous to wits? Okay. So now we have to, to think about, right? And, and we said that kind of the, the, um, the what, what are the two questions? The, the tone and the what? Tone and main idea. The main idea, right? So the main idea is basically what is Wit's story, and so now the the question is like, tell us another person who has a very similar story. Uh-huh. All right. So answer choice A: a musician who created one of the most successful rock singles of all time, but who otherwise spent his career touring small venues where he covered other musicians' songs. I don't see any correlation there, uh, so I'm just going to leave that. Answer choice B, a sculptor whose life's work was a single massive building containing and composed of dozens of distinct sculptures. I'm not sure about that, right? They're trying to make the tie-in to the one book that Wit published and then the other book, which was a uh, kind of a compilation of his other manuscripts. So I think maybe they're trying to make us think about that. Mm-hmm. Answer choice C, a physics professor who's willing to spend several years foregoing the professional acclaim that comes from original research because she knows that it is more important that she create a, uh, a much-needed textbook to fill a gap in her school's undergraduate curriculum. That does not ring any sort of bells with me. And I'm hoping answer choice D is like, oh, yeah, that makes sense because I'm lost <laughs> if it doesn't. All right. Answer choice D, a law professor who only published a single highly influential book analyzing the structure of Supreme Court decisions, but whose collected lecture notes were uh, posthumously published as a series of law review articles. So, I mean, that that is like really almost literally exactly what happened with wit was I published one thing. The one thing that I am uh, questioning potentially the the Tractatus, um, highly influential book, is the the words there that are confusing to me. And I'm scrolling down. The Tracticus, Tractatus, uh, was obviously good enough to earn him a, a the doctorate degree. So I'm gonna go with D, just because I don't like all the other ones are just weird to me. 
Yeah. So you're going to be, so you're right. It is D. Um, yeah. And so I think, so we'll, we'll talk about why D is right. And then maybe talk, and then talk a little bit about why the other answers are wrong. So yeah. So pub, only publishing a highly single influential, singly like influential book. Yeah. So that's our Tracticus. Um, so I think that the, you're unsure about like the highly influential, because I think at the beginning of the passage, it's not like, it's not like really established, like how influential the book is. You really do have to go back to that, that at the end of the passage. And I think you point out, okay, well, it got him this PhD. And also, um, remember it was that pirate copy that was published mm. and led to that growing fame. Yep. So it wasn't as maybe what he didn't have he wasn't as famous as he ended up being after you know this book was published this collection was published after his death but it still got him some fame it was still influential people all over europe were reading it all the best philosophers and smarts people um were reading it so uh, so i definitely agree with d i think the next most popular answer was a um, I think that's why, because it has kind of one piece of our puzzle right here. So a uh, musician who created one of the most successful rock singles of all time. So I'd say like, okay, maybe that's like the Tracticus kind of like, mm-hmm. you know, substitute. okay, maybe that's highly influential. But the kind, but the second part of this answer is really where we go wrong here, but otherwise spent his career touring small venues, right? Where he covered other musicians' songs. We didn't really yeah. talk, you know, he didn't publish like one thing and then go off into obscurity. Like he tried to publish the book, like nobody wanted it. He was like a mean school teacher for a while and like a lowly <laughs> a gardener, like, a low, like, like a gardener, a lowly professor. And then like somebody like pre-released his book and then yeah. it caught and then it went viral yep. um, in like 1800s or whatever this was terms. Um, so, yeah, so I would take out a um, and then, yeah, I think you're right. Like I said, for sculpture, I said, um, you know, this, this sculptor whose life work was single massive building that yeah, wasn't quite isn't quite right. Doesn't really relate to what we're talking about. And then we also have this phys- our, for C, that physics professor who is spending years foregoing professional acclaim, right? Like that wasn't by choice. Like he didn't yeah. get his book published. Like he, he, like he wanted, he tried to get a bachelor's degree and failed, you know, like he probably wanted to be famous. So that's, even though that's kind of like what happened, like the motivations are wrong there. So yeah. I think we are comfortable with D. All right. You're on a roll here, Dr. Gray. Let's keep going. Let's keep it going. Cars. <laughs> I'm crushing it. All right, go ahead and read All right, me. I think it's, it's me, correct? Yeah. All right, awesome. The author's description of Witt's teaching style as an ironic twist. Oh, that word we pulled out before. Yes, there is a question on it. <laughs> so um, a description of the teaching style as an ironic twist assumes which of the following. So reword this question for me, Dr. Gray. Like, make this less common. Like, what is what is the, te- what are the test makers asking here? Um... Oh, why? So the author's um, I don't know how to reword it. I, I think I know. Like they're they're basically saying like, why was Wit's teaching style ironic? Yeah, exactly. Why does the author call this ironic? So yeah. it's like we're trying to figure out like why like why was this language used here? Exactly. Okay, so we're trying to figure out which of the following does ironic twist assume? Yeah. So, A, having been raised by a strict authoritarian father, one would have expected Witt himself to react by forming a more easygoing, laid-back teaching style. B, children who are raised in a harsh environment end up reproducing that harsh environment when they grow up. And C, philosophers generally make for ineffective teachers. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I think we can cross that one out. I think Dr. Gray's lab there is like, that's a really extreme statement, right? You're laughing because like... (laughs) That's not at all in line with what the author was saying, right? Yep. So ineffective is a really extreme word. 
Um, so we're going to take that out because, right, we determined our author's position is not extreme. That does not match with our tone at all. We're going to yep. get rid of it. Um, and then among wealthy European families, it was expected at the time that children would adopt both the personality style and vocation of their parents. Yep. Did we ever talk about, like, the historical no. whatever of European? No, we didn't talk no. about European families. So we are going to be between yeah. C and D. Or, or sorry, a take out C and D. Yeah. Yeah, so uh, it's it's interesting. Uh, mm-hmm. Answer choice A um, seems to be the the most um, uh, specific answer, but answer choice B also sounds correct, right? Just as a true statement, and mm-hmm. so maybe that's kind of the cars part of this is answer choice B seems to be a true statement, right? We we talk about. Um, uh, uh, People who grow up in abusive households end up leading an abusive household uh, themselves, right? So being raised in a harsh environment, you're going to continue that harsh environment. But the ironic twist part of it, I think, is what we're specifically calling out going, hey, we would have assumed we would have expected this to uh, to to for wit to be more easygoing laid back. So I'm going to go with A. Yes, exactly, right? Because this is the key part is this ironic twist here. And you're totally right that for anyone who chose B, that was probably outside information coming in because that would confirm something that you already think. But if you look in the context of the passage, right, if it's ironic that you have a like an abusive father and that you end up being a tyrannical teacher, that's like I said, the ironic twist has to be that that's not the expected outcome, in which case, what is the expected outcome? Something different, something the opposite, that he would have been easygoing. All yeah. right. All right. Let's keep going. All right. I'm crushing these cars. <laughs> I, so I just need to do more cars. All right. Question five. Which of the following, if true, would most weaken one of the passage's uh, assertions about Wit's life? All right. So this is a tricky one. Which of the following, if true, would weaken one of the assertions? Okay. So A, Witt's fluency in English was an absolute requirement for his gaining citizenship. Uh, I have no idea what that means. Um, uh, Answer is B, Witt's... Uh, Wit halted his philosophical work during World War II in order to act as a nurse for wounded British soldiers, and this interruption prevented him from seriously resuming teaching ever again. See, near the turn of the 21st century, historians discovered a series of personal letters exchanged between Wit and Pinsent, uh, Pinsent that confirms that the two were in a romantic relationship. D. Uh, Wit never received any payment, formal or otherwise, for the initial version of the Tractatus that was published throughout the UK and Austria. <sighs> okay, so let's go to ones that I want to throw out immediately. Awesome, um, yes. Process of elimination, we love it. It's how I answer every question, especially. Yeah, course. so again, this is if true, what? how would it weaken an assertion? So his fluency in English, saying it's a requirement doesn't necessarily – for gaining British citizenship doesn't – tell me. So um, he was awarded the professorship by Cambridge. It was a relatively simple matter for him to attain UK, UK citizenship, blah, blah, blah. Like, like I don't – like him – his fluency in English to me doesn't impact that at all. 
Yeah. So yeah, I, I would agree. I think this weakens. is. Yeah, I, w- I would agree that that's not our answer. Definitely isn't isn't super related to what we're talking about, right? There's no assertion yep. that like there, there's no talk of like language fluency. So like this is a related statement to something that's said in the passage, but it doesn't actually affect the author's assertions, right? The author, and right, what he says about Wit's idea is or Wit's life is kind of the main idea here, right? So basically, saying like is like would this weaken like our main idea of the passage? Yeah. Okay. So with that, let's keep going. So the next one, I'm going to go to answer choice C. Near the turn of the 21st century, historians discovered a series of personal letters kind of confirming the romantic relationship. And we had highlighted that, that um, he was wounded and one of the setbacks was his friend had uh, was killed in a plane crash. And it says likely his lover. Right. I don't know if that's an assertion like and, and oh, it's true that they were lovers, but the the passage already assumed that they were lovers. So I'm going to throw that one out too. Yeah. And so would that, like, if that was true, would that support or that weaken the, the author's ideas? Uh, It would support it. Yeah, exactly. Right. So we're looking for things that are going to weaken it. This yeah. is supporting what the passage is saying. Okay. It's saying like, I, if you find evidence for something I said, is that good or is that bad? It's yeah. good, right? You want evidence supporting the things you're saying. Yeah. Um, okay. So now we're between B and D. Yeah. So I'm going to go with D next. Um, Wit never received any payment, formal or otherwise, for the initial version of the Tractatus that was published throughout the UK and Austria. Mm-hmm. So the... Um, the book here, so if it's true that he never received any payment, I don't think that there's any assertion anywhere that like maybe like that he received lots of money for this book and that was why his life was this way. And then, oh, it turns out that it's true that he didn't get any money and so therefore everything's different. Yeah, right. We don't have we like we don't have any discussions here. Like we, we know that like he worked different jobs, right? So he had like some kind of income, but they never yeah. talk about the income from his actual philosophical work, right? So we have, you know, we have the author didn't state anything for us to be, you know, supporting. So this is just essentially an irrelevant yeah. statement. You know, it's related, but it's just not relevant to any of the main things our author was trying to tell us about. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So Process of elimination, I'm left with B, which I was very confused reading, and I didn't want to go back to it until I looked at all the other ones, and I'm assuming that it has to be the right answer, even though I haven't looked at it again. Um, So hopefully that's right. Yes, so you'll be correct. So yes, our answer is going to be B, which is basically this, like, he had to halt his philosophical work during World War II in order to be a nurse, and he couldn't teach again after this. Mm. So what did we say? Like, what was our whole point about World War II here? That it had the smallest impact. So that was the assertion. It had a small Mm -hmm. impact. And if answer choice B is correct, then it actually had a huge impact. Yeah, right? So that's going to weaken the fact that this is kind of the opposite. All they're saying... Oh, well, World War II didn't matter because he already had his good teaching thing going on. So he kind of just glossed over, you know, could gloss over the war in his personal life. You know, but saying, actually, no, he had to halt his work. So that would weaken. There we go. All right. Five for five. Five for five. So Mm -hmm. when you have a passage like this, I felt pretty good going through these. Uh, subjectively, we are usually really bad about going, oh, that was bad. That was easy. Um, do you judge yourself in the moment 
or, or try not to judge yourself or do you allow yourself to judge yourself as you're going through these going, wow, that was an easy passage. So hopefully the next one's just as easy. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think, I think in like in the moment when you're testing, and this is going to be a little different, you know, depending on, you know, your personal anxiety levels, you know, what stories you do best with telling yourself. Um, just as a little side note, I used to do a lot of work in flute performance um, in high school. And I always used to pick when I was going into audition, it was either I've got this audition so good. I am the best person here. I don't have to be stressed because I'm amazing and I've got this. Or I would go with the other thing of like, I am so much worse than all these other people. There's no way I'm going to get this. And I know that. So therefore, I don't have to stress about it. And I'll pick whichever mindset was going to be the most believable to me in that moment. I kind of have a similar philosophy with the MCAT in terms of like, if you have a bad passage, like you just say like, well, that one was a dud. We're going to try the net. You know, like you like it just it happened and you can't do anything about it now. Yeah. And unless you go back to your flags, which is great. Um. But particularly, like, if you go through a passage and it feels easy and you feel like you did a good job and you feel, like, confident, like, feel confident. Like, that's good. You're like, yes, like, I totally got that. That one only took me eight minutes and 30. That's an extra minute to spend on the next passage that's probably going to be a little tricky. So I think when you have something that goes a little bit wrong, I think you just have to really just move on. But when if you can convince yourself of that confident mindset, like, something that feels believable to you in that moment of, like, oh, my gosh, I got this. Like, I am the best MCAT test taker ever. I think embracing that positivity in those moments is good because it can, you know, makes you feel a little less existential when you're going through the passages. And especially, you know, if because you're probably going to have, you know, some passages that you feel better about and some passages that you feel worse about. And it's about getting used to the fact that, like, that's normal. That's how you're going to feel. All right. So there you have it. Cars. Passage one from the Blueprint Diagnostic Exam. Again, if you don't have that exam yet, access to that exam, go get it by going to blueprintmcat.com. Hope you have a great week. We'll see you next time here on the MCAT Podcast. This is MedEd Media.